working our way through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Next week, we'll be talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, our memory verse will be very applicable. There are some standing here who are not going to die before the day the Lord comes back to call home His church. So, Matthew chapter 5, we'll start reading in verse 43 down to verse 48 together. Let's begin. <clears throat> Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're now dealing with probably the hardest commandment that your son ever gave us. And everybody talks about love. Everybody thinks that it's something that we all should be doing. But it's the hardest thing that we ever can do consistently and from our heart. It's easy to fake. It sure is amazing when it's real. And that's what you've called us to. This morning, I pray that we'd see just how impossible that it is to do, to love our enemies without you. You're not only our example, you are our power and our strength and our enabler. So, Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves and ask you for help. And then we would experience the ability to love the unlovable. Lord, just like you do toward us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All right, there is a way to face your enemy without having a war. So... As I have said, as we're going through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is teaching about the superiority of the kingdom of God. A lot of kingdoms, a lot of nations see themselves as better than other kingdoms. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's called nationalism. If you're Irish, you ought to be glad you're Irish. If you're African, you ought to be glad you're African. If you're Nigerian, you ought to be glad. Don't be ashamed of who you are or where you came from. Uh, you ought to be very glad for, your, for your, where you're from, where, where you were born, who you are. But Jesus speaks about another kingdom, and he says it's better than all the rest, and it is. It's called the kingdom of God. Now, when he talked about the kingdom of God, he did it not by throwing away the Old Testament, saying, oh, get rid of the Old Testament, I've got something better. No, he went back into the Old Testament, and he showed them what was there that they had missed all the while. You see, uh, Jesus knew what the normal teaching was, where everybody just believed thou shalt not kill. So as long as you don't kill anybody, that's a good thing. Jesus knew that everybody, they were mainly worried about committing physical adultery. So he spoke to a congregation, he spoke to thousands of people, and he says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And you think, I haven't done that physically. He was speaking to people who had been taught all their life that divorce could be gotten for any reason. Burnt toast, um, you know, uh, uh, j 
just, just, just uh, getting flare up and, and, well, she just doesn't understand me, whatever. There were people who were going around and saying, no forswearing, which basically said, you always have to mean your swears. And then last week we learned that it was right to seek revenge when hurt. If, you know, if somebody, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, if somebody says something about you, bad, you can say something bad about them. That's in the, in the Bible. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Jesus said it's a whole different better kettle of fish. When the Bible says thou shalt not kill, he's dealing first with anger, and he says don't even get angry because anger is the reason why you end up killing. So he dealt with anger. He came along and he says stop your wandering heart and eyes. Don't worry about physical adultery. You need to worry about spiritual and about emotional and about uh, mental and, uh, adultery that goes on in our own heart and nobody else sees it, but it's just as wicked, according to God, as if you were doing it physically. Jesus then went on and says, there is no divorce in the kingdom of God. Not in the kingdom of God. Now, there may be extreme circumstances where it has to take place because of, of extreme fornication or because somebody's abandoned you and broken that physical bond. But there should be no divorce in the kingdom of God. Can we agree with that? It was in re response to the fact that in, the, in, uh, in, in people's minds, they were getting to where they could just divorce for any reason. Marriage was meaning nothing to them. Jesus said, don't worry about swearing. You shouldn't swear at all. You should just let your yes be yes, and your no mean no, without swearing at all, without saying, I swear, or saying a bad word to, so that everybody sits up and take, pays attention to you. And then lastly, we learned last week, he said, when, when, when somebody hurts you, go the extra mile, let them hurt you again. You may have to let them hurt you again and again and again. So all of these things, you have to admit, are different than how we normally would react. But he hasn't finished because he's focusing on now on handling the enemies, the people who mistreat us. And this is his, this, let me ask you this before I get to my next point. How many of you know that you have an enemy? How many have enemies? Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. How many of you know you have an enemy? It is, it is, um, uh, it's amazing when you start to think about people who, don't, who won't talk to you, who hate you, who constantly criticize you. <laughs> they think you're doing, they're doing you a service by criticizing you. These are people who walk away from you when you get near them. People who talk about you behind your back and would spit in your face if they could get away with it. You know, there are people we've offended and then apologized to, but they still refuse to accept the apology. And they hate us still. There are people we've angered, and they won't get over it. They've decided, I don't want to get over it. There are people who are jealous for us for whatever reason. There are people in our families who hold a grudge against us for years. And they're just people who just don't like us. By the way, in our modern world, there is all this talk about love, especially by the LGBTQRST group. And that group, you notice what their main theme is, love, and yet they hate you and they hate God. And if they could, they would kill us in a moment. So don't believe their idea of love and tolerance. There's one group that's the most intolerant people, and that's the homosexual crowd. And it's amazing, the politicians are owned by them, and so they've taken up the side, we are going to be persecuted like you've never seen, folks. You know, there are people that hate me. There are people who would love to see me fail. Just one chance to watch me mess up. I watch it, and I go... Well, keep watching because it's going to happen. I mean, it just naturally happens. Having enemies is life. It is normal. It's part of being human. 
But what Jesus teaches about loving our enemies, he's going to show you just how strong the hold is that the devil has on us in response, because it hurts when our enemies hate us. We value other people's opinions. And you know, well, let me say this. This is the pinnacle, this is the highest peak of Jesus' commands and his teaching ever. There's a lot more to teach as we get into chapter 6 on giving and on praying, but this is the highest level because it's about love. And it'll be the hardest to learn to obey. He sets us solidly apart from every other philosophy and religion that has ever existed. How does he do that? Well, I read a quote by this guy named uh, Nikita Khrushchev. He was one of Russia's communist leaders back before uh, they, they, they broke up and everything. And um, he showed, he expressed the difference between communism and Christianity with this remark. He said this, the difference between Christianity and communism is vast. When someone strikes you in the face, you turn the other cheek. But if you strike me in the face, I'll hit you so hard your head will fall off. And he was right. He was right. Because Christ is calling us to do something that doesn't happen naturally in the world. So go back and look there in verse 43. And I want you to see that the typical teaching made sense. Look in verse 43. 543, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt, what? Love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, love those that love you. Love those that are just like you, that think like you, act like you, like the music you like, like the movies you like, they go places you like. It is just, just love those that love you and hate those that are not like you. They don't want to be like you. That just hate you for being you. What could be simpler? This way of treating people is universal. Love those that love you and hate those that hate you. That's universal. That's what everybody does. But there's an obvious question. Oh, by the way, this is kind of funny. Uh, a 90-year-old uh, man was asked if he had any enemies. He said confidently, no. And the reporter then asked, what was his secret? What made it possible so that you had no enemies? He said, because I've outlived them all. That's probably the only way you're ever going to get rid of your enemies, okay? But uh, the rest of us, we have something inside of us that says, i got to react. But let me, let me move on. There's an obvious question that says, why care about people who are so set against us? Look back in verse 39. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, I say unto you, he's going back to that thing, he says, that you resist not evil against you. But whosoever shall, look at those words, smite thee on thy right cheek. That's hitting you. And if any man will sue you at the law, take away your coat, give him the cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, force you, abuse you, make you do what you don't want to do, go with him twain. And give to someone who asks of you, will borrow of you, just give it, not wanting to have it come back to you. Look in verse 45. I'm sorry, verse 44. I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that, what's the next words? Curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute. That's quite a list. Somebody hits you, 
somebody sues you in the courts, somebody abuses your life, they're toxic to you, somebody who robs you and just takes and takes and takes, and all they do is they come and they just take, and they never give, they never bless, they never encourage, they never give back, they always take and they never return. They curse you, they hate you, they despitefully use you. I looked up that word, despitefully. It's a wonderfully evil word. It means to, with the most intense malice, use you like, like, you would, like, like something you wanted to destroy by, by using. It's not like, I, I use this thing, but I don't want to destroy it. I want it to be here next week. But when, when somebody is despitefully using you, they're hoping to drain everything from you and walk away and leave you dead and then to persecute you as a Christian. You know what's even funny? Well, not funny. You know what's even awful, more awful than all that list? It happens amongst Christians. There are Christians who have no problem with taking another Christian to court before an ungodly judge and saying, this person did this to me, and they take him to court. There are Christians who will sue for divorce when they have no business going before the court and getting that thing divided, what God has put together. They will fight and argue all their life and yet claim to be Christian. Pretty rough. We are so tempted to retaliate. Somebody looks at us wrong and we just want to take them on. We want to treat them exactly like they're treating us. According to Jesus, we have to do more than tolerate people who hurt us or else we will just be like them. God has some very good reasons why we have to love those who show no love toward us as believers. Let me show you this. Jesus gives us four absolute reactions to hurt. Look back there in verse 44. I say unto you, first word, what's the first word? Love your enemies. Second, bless them that curse you. Third, um, do good to them that hate you. Uh, And fourthly, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Look at that list. Love your enemies. To love your enemy is not, it's not, it's not that you love them hurting you. Oh, hit me again. (laughs) Oh, I just love it when you raise your voice. I just love it when you abandon me and you turn away from me. No, it's really love them. We know how to go to a funeral or a wedding. We meet somebody, we just dis. Buys, but we can, hi, how are you? Jesus never said, put on a fake smile. And he said, love your enemies. How about blessing them? To bless them is to wish happiness for them, to wish for a good life for those that wish evil on you. To do good to those that hate your guts, that doesn't come natural. And then you think about praying. When you, when you pray for people who have violent hatred towards you, who would walk all over you every time they're around you, who persecute you, their focus is, their, is your ruin. You know, if you take the time to pray for their safety, their salvation, their family, and their relationship with God, it makes it easier to love them. Did you know that? You're not going to ever just start off and, well, I just love them. No, pray for them, and you'll find yourself loving them. Now, you think any of that is in any of us normally, carnally, naturally? Not at all. And yet it's expected of us. So to love your enemy, 
According to Jesus, when he's quoting these things, he's implying that it was completely overlooked in the Old Testament. He showed throughout every one of his teachings that they were there all along. Go back to Leviticus 19, give you some Bible study this morning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, one of the most hated books in the Old Testament. And yet one of the most amazing books, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. Listen to these words, Leviticus 19, 18. Thou shalt not avenge. Don't pay back, people. But look at the next ones. Nor bear any, what's that next word? It's a good old modern word. Bear a grudge against the children of thy people, whoever it is. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thy, thyself. I am the Lord. You see, the Jewish teachers of the day constantly were, were inferring. It was never told in the Bible that you had to hate your enemy. No. The nation may have to go to war against a national enemy. You may have a criminal who's trying to do harm to your family that you may have to take to court. But generally, if somebody's attacking you personally, you cannot claim any scripture that says you have the right to, to hate them and to count them as an enemy without love. So without proper understanding of the Bible, the Jews became some of the greatest racists ever. Now, they today will stand up and they will point out all forms of anti-racism, anti-Semitism. You ever hear that? And that is wrong to, to uh, identify the, the people group of the Jews and make fun of them and say the Holocaust didn't happen and all this stupidity that people get involved in and, and to say that Hitler was right to try to exterminate them. That still is being said. That's anti-Semitism. Let me tell you, any form of racism is wrong. Can you agree? Every form of it. But the Jews had this idea. They counted everybody that wasn't a Jew their enemy. It's kind of funny. You ever remember a guy named Jonah? Did he love his enemies? No. When God said, I want you to go and preach and give a second chance to those people up in Nineveh, he said, nope, I'm going this way. He wouldn't even think about trying to love his enemy, and yet God said, you got to. And he had a way of making him do it too, amen? So, uh, do you know the, the mark of the last days is the love of self, self and love of things, not of people? Take your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy, go way to the right, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. How many think we're near the end of the age? Well, it's two of you, three of you. Well, let's, let's see if we can pinpoint this thing. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, This know also that in the last days perilous, deadly times shall come. What's the first thing he lists? Men and women, don't just think of men, but men shall be lovers of their own selves. What's the next word? Covetous. They just think of things. They just think of having. They just want covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, never in history have we experienced the kind of attitude that children have toward their parents like we do over the last 15, 60 years. Unthankful, unholy. You know, 50, 60 years ago, people were glad to have a shop within five miles of their house. Now it has to be, oh, I got, if it takes me 10 minutes, I can't stand how long it takes to go to the shop. People used to be grateful for the hard things. Now, everybody's ungrateful. Go to Revelation chapter 3. 
Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. Speaking to a church, Jesus is rebuking a church. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, the church of Laodiceans. And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, down to verse 17. Because thou sayest that I am rich, because you think you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, that was what they thought, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They don't even know that they were so messed up because all they thought about was themselves and about getting things. It's funny. No wonder we don't love one another. No wonder the world is on the brink of war at any moment. You know that, that God commands His people to love more than just ourselves. Who's the first person we should love? No question. God. The first God commands us to love Him. You say, what a strange commandment. It's the best commandment ever given. Do you know if you get that right, everything else will come easy. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you just love God, you'll love what He created. You'll love who He's trying to save. You'll love what He's trying to do in your life and in the world. Amen. But if you just sort of try to want to impress Him, you're never going to get along with anybody. Love God. Love strangers. Let me quote for you. It's back in Leviticus 19. And if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, a stranger was a Gentile, was anybody coming through the land, ye shall not vex him. Don't trouble him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. You're supposed to treat people like their family, even though they're Gentile, even though they're different color, even though they have anything different about them. Treat them as if they're part of the family. Let me keep reading. And thou shalt love him as thyself. Do you get that? That's Leviticus 19, verse 33. You are to love the stranger, the one who's strange, <laughs> the one that's different than you, the one that doesn't quite believe like you or act like you or do the same things you do. Love them like you love yourself. That's Old Testament. Why? For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. And secondly, because I am the Lord your God, he said. He said, third of all, we know about it, love your neighbors, over and over. Matthew 22 says, thou, uh, uh, the second commandment is, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And did you know the first commandment and loving your neighbor, all the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. Love our family. Go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We are commanded. You say, well, I... I, it's, it, I I love those people that I am able to love. Well, then you're not going to love many people. Because most people are hard to love. Can you nod your head? Most people are hard to love. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And he had to put a command in here because sometimes it's hard to love even in the family. Husbands, love your wives. Every husband thinks he is. Until he finds out, even as Christ also loved the church and gave and sacrificed himself for it. You know, we're supposed to love our family. Titus 2.4. Go to the right, find Titus 2.4. First, second Timothy, Titus chapter 2 and verse 4. Look back in verse 3. It says, the aged women in a church. That's anybody over 30. <laughs> the aged women likewise that they behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, gossipers, not given to much wine, 
teachers of good things, that they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands. You know, a young wife needs to be taught how to love her husband and to love their children. There's not a woman in here who doesn't try to love their husband and doesn't try to love their children, but you know, it takes an older woman to show them how to do it better, how to do it faithfully and consistently without wanting to kill them every other week. You know, we think it's easy to love our family, and then we find out it's not. You know, we're supposed to love everyone who's born again. First John 2, 9 says, he that, he's, he that saith that he's in the light, that he's walking in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. We're supposed to love the brethren. But here we are commanded to love those that have become our enemy. To love those people no matter what they do to us, no matter how they treat us, no matter how they insult us, no matter what their actions are toward us personally. Take a look at how you respond. doesn't mean we have to love our enemies the same way that we speak about falling in love with our wife or our husband. It simply means we open our hearts. We say, I need to have compassion with that person. That person is hating me, trying to ruin my life, and I don't know why, but I'm commanded to love them back, and so I must. You say, what is that like? Well, let me give you some examples. Go to Exodus chapter 23. The Old Testament law is full of commandments to have acts of kindness towards your enemy. Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23 and verse 4. Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, chapter 23, and verse 4. If thou meet thy enemy's ox. All right, here's Sean, and here's Joseph. And Sean and Joseph just don't get along. They live near each other. And Sean's got an ox that got out of the pen and has been wandering out there, and Joseph sees the ox. And he could just say, shh, keep going, keep going. I don't want my enemy to have his ox. Look what the Bible says, verse 4. If thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely, without a doubt, bring it back to him again. Hmm. I have to take, I'm, I'm going to the shop, I'm busy, but I have to stop what I'm doing and take that ox back to my enemy. Verse 4, verse 5. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden and wouldest forbear to help him, thou shalt surely help with him. What's that? You, got, you, you see your enemy, he's walking with his donkey, and that donkey is struggling to carry all the weight. Maybe your, enemy's, uh, maybe your enemy's not carrying anything, but he's got it on the donkey. You come up to the donkey, and you take off some of that weight and put it on you so the donkey can keep walking, and you help your enemy get home. That's Old Testament. That's God. Proverbs 25 says this, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat, not moldy bread. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink, for thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. So you know what you need to do with your enemy? Be kind to him. Open the door for him. Pay for their coffee. Say hi to them. If they leave their wallet behind them, don't take opportunity. <laughs> take it back to them. Let them say hurtful things against you without you responding. Secondly, here's an example. Love them that, that you hate and that you despise already. Go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Better reading here, but I can't miss this. 
Luke 10, 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto them, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Well, thou shalt love, verse 27, 10, 27 in Luke, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. He's a Jewish man. Get that in your mind. This is a proper guy. This is, a, this is the kind of guy you would like and you would, you would respect and you would easily love. But he fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and they wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, what should he have done? Should have helped him. But he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him. Can you just see him looking down on him, going, my, my, my. <laughs> and he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan. Now, how did the Jews see the Samaritans? They hated them. They were half-breeds. They weren't Jew. They weren't Gentile. They didn't believe in the God of Israel. They had their own gods. They were pagan. But a certain Samaritan who knew the Jews hated them, who himself, he had no real reason to deal with anybody of the Jews. He passes by and he sees his sworn enemy. He came where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. The Samaritan didn't like the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans, but here, the priest, the Levite, had nothing to do with him. But this Samaritan had compassion on him, and he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, which was two days' wages, gave them to the host, and said to him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I'll take responsibility for it. I will repay thee. Now, which of these Three, thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Without mentioning the name, he didn't say that Samaritan. He just said the guy that was merciful. He said, go thou and do likewise. Love those you hate and despise already. Do you know Jesus loved his enemies, didn't he? When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and one on the left, and then said, Jesus, Father, get him. <laughs> Show him I'm God. Prove to them they did, treated me wrong. That's not what he prayed, is it? He said, um, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know what they were doing at the bottom of the, of the cross? They were gambling over his clothes, the last bit of possessions he had. And he was praying for his enemies. Do you know there's a guy named Stephen in your Bible and it says that he loved his enemies. Acts chapter 7 says they carried him out of the city, threw him down, and they stoned him. Do you know what he was saying while he was on the ground being pelted by stones of ever-increasing size? He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I'm coming home. And then he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice so that everybody could hear, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. People who are pelting him with stones. I have no idea how that feels. 
I know, what it meant. I know what it feels like to be hit with a fist. I know what it feels like to be hit with a stick. But I've never had stones thrown at me that would mean the breaking of my bones and the certain death. And here is a man praying for his enemies and forgiving them. Everybody knows about Patrick. Do you know Patrick actually ended up loving those that had invaded his North English village? And had stolen him as a 16-year-old boy and forced, forced him to work in the Irish fields for years until he escaped and went home. And it was a love for his enemies that God used to call him to return to Ireland about 432 and preach the gospel of the Irish. And it was because of him loving his enemies that Ireland got the gospel back 1,500 years ago. There's another woman... You ought to learn about her. You ought to get her book called The Hiding Place. There's also a video called The Hiding Place. Her name is Corey Ten Boone. She and her sister Betsy and her family members helped many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust. They had a kind of underground railroad, they called it, where they took in Jews and they hid them in the, in the walls between the, the rooms and in the floorboards under the floors and in the attic spaces that were just inaccessible. And they would put them up there for days, bringing up the water and bits of bread. And they did it at great risk because the Jews were going through, uh, uh, the, um, the Gestapo was going through um, uh, the Netherlands and going through Holland, and they were finding all of the Jews, and they were shipping them off in 1944 to concentration camps and to gassing. In 1944, 28th of February, 1944, they were arrested. They had been exposed. Somebody had, had, uh, had told on them. They were sent to a concentration camp called Ravensbrück. They had six people in their house hiding, and they were carried away, separated, put in these concentration camps. Corey Ten Boone received a letter one day in prison reading, all the watches in your cabinet are safe. Referring to those refugees that had managed to escape and had now gotten out of Holland. But it was a year later, Betsy, her sister, was so discouraged and so sickly being in that concentration camp, they were covered with lice. They dealt in, 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 in battle tuberculosis. Everybody had it. She, uh, her, Betsy had no strength, and Betsy was so discouraged, she struggled to handle the abuse by the Germans. But Corey would gently remind her that there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Betsy died on the 16th of December, 1944, at the age of 59 in camp. Ten days later... Corey was released accidentally. Nobody can explain why. Corey walked out by a clerical error by one of the secretaries announcing that she was no longer guilty of the crime and that she walked home. She died just a few years ago, but she wrote several books. And um, her book is called The Hiding Place, and she recounts the story of during that time in that concentration camp, she learned what it meant to love her enemies. In 1946, the year after World War II ended, she went back to Germany, and she met two Germans, one of which had been very cruel to her sister, and she met them, and she told them, I forgive you. Wow. That's love. So what does it look like to love your enemy? Well, I'm going to deal with some strong words. Don't you get mad at me. Get mad at God. But if you want to love your enemy, the first thing you'll do is you'll no longer argue and fight with them. You will submit. 
When there is someone in charge of your life, like your employer at that moment, you know, you work for somebody and they, they hire you and you're expected to be there and they're mean to you and say, well, I can't handle it. Handle it. Love them. Honor them like you would Christ, the Bible says. Don't constantly go from business and, and, and company to company looking for that perfect job. You ought to be starving enough to be able to work for anybody to, until you can get your own job going, until you do your own business, doesn't matter. But submit to people no matter how they treat you. I mean, there are limits, understand. But never hate them. How about your spouse? When you have somebody that's in charge of your life and they're ruining it, Love them anyway. Your parents, teenagers, they're in charge of your life. They're making your life miserable. Love them anyway. Pray for them. Bless them. How about your banker? Ruining your life? Bet you never prayed for your banker. You don't even believe they have a soul, do you? <laughs> How about your tax man? Love them enough to let them hate without a fight. Just keep going and serving them like you would the Lord. Listen to Proverbs 31. Go to Proverbs 31. Proverbs chapter 31. Speaking of the, the virtuous woman. So a virtuous woman doesn't have a perfect husband and she's not trying to be a perfect wife. But a virtuous woman, look at verse... There in verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? Kind of rare, for her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he have no need of spoil, which means he doesn't, have, he doesn't have to constantly keep her happy by bringing things home to her. She will do him good and not evil all the days of his life. Now, how does a woman not want to poison her husband every couple of months? I don't know. But the Bible says you could get to that place where you just love, even though you're married to an imperfect person. Same goes both ways. Because love says, I don't have to win every argument. Love says, I don't have to end up hating when the other person is being mean. I've just got to love. Submission. Secondly, second chances. How many like second chances? <laughs> Third chances, fourth chances. Amen. Give your enemies loads of chances to get right and to do right. Jesus told Peter to forgive his brother how many times in a day? Seven? No, 70 times 7 in one day. Did you know that's nearly an infinite number of second chances in a lifetime in dealing with somebody who's hurting you? When you start holding a grudge against anyone, you sin. You say, well, what they did to me was a sin. Of course it was a sin, but you holding a grudge against them is also a sin. You hold on a grudge? How do you know you're holding a grudge? You never say sorry for anything now. You constantly bring up the past and all the other person's failures. You mind constant, your mind constantly reviews hurts instead of joys. That's a grudge. What does love look like? What does love in your enemy look like? It's skipping over offenses. Go to Psalm, I'm sorry, Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19. In verse 11. Now, discretion is the ability to think things through and decide to do something different than you would normally. That's discretion. The discretion of a man puts off his anger, says, I'm not going to respond to that. And it is, is his glory, it is awesome for him to pass over a transgression. So skip over offenses. Let it slide. Now, the third one's harder. Shutting up. <laughs> That's where you 
You, you, hey, you try and reason with them, and if they don't listen, you just shut up and just say, I'll leave it. I'm not going to fight. You know, there was one time where Jesus was in front of the, all of the people that were trying to kill him, and they were accusing him, and he just sat there and he kept his mouth shut. Wasn't going to answer him. Because all he would do was make them more mad. Sometimes There ought to be a time where you realize, I just got to shut up. <laughs> and then there's the showing of kindness and mercy. Go to Romans chapter 12. This is what loving your enemy looks like. Romans chapter 12 and verse 20, quoting from Proverbs. Therefore, if thine enemy, 12, Romans 12, 20, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. You'll hurt him, and ultimately, he will, he will be so angry he can't get at you. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you know there's a summary verse in there? Go to chapter 13 of Romans, verse 8. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. You ought to owe no man anything but to what? To love one another. The only thing I owe you is to love you. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Wow. For this thou shalt not commit adultery. Is that a serious sin? Of course it is. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Why? Because love, here's a summary, worketh no ill, no harm. Think of a doctor taking the Hippocratic Oath. Do no harm. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That's what it looks like. Would you agree it's kind of hard? to do. Why? Why love? God has some very good reasons why we've got to love those that don't love us and don't ever want to love us. Number one, because God is good to those that curse Him and hate Him. We read it there. It says, He reigns, gives reign to the just and to the unjust. He's good to them, isn't He? Because God loves His enemies. You're in Romans, go to chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the good. The godly, right? No. Christ died for the ungodly. The ones that are the opposite of Him. Verse Eight, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God already showed us the reason why we love our enemies, because God loves his enemies. Amen. He's kind to them. Third, because Christ didn't die so that you could hate anybody. Would you put that in your mind and go, you know, Jesus Christ did not die so, I have the, so that I would have the right to hate anybody. Amen. That needs to be your rally cry of, I have no right to hate even my enemy. Jesus' death on the cross robs you of the right to hate anybody. Fourth, reason why we love our enemies is because the people you're upset with are just like you. They have a soul, they have problems, they have hurts, and you're not God. So the truth is, 
if somebody is your enemy, you have no idea what their background is. You don't know what they've been through. What is the phrase that we use in RU? Hurt people hurt people. So when we try to respond with hurt, all we're doing is hurting a person who's already hurting. <laughs> and it has to be broken by love. You know, the people that are just like you, your enemy, God wants them saved. God does not want them to go to hell. God is not willing that how many should perish? That any should perish. That means even that person that hates your guts and that you wish that we're off the planet. <laughs> Here's another thought. You're not going to like it. You're no better. Well, I'm a Christian. You know what that means? You're expected better things. Well, I'm a good person. Well, if you're trying to be good, then you're going to have to prove it by loving your enemy because that's good. You and your enemy are the same until you humble yourself and you love them like Christ loved you when you were his enemy. Because hatred and revenge hurts you more. Think about it. Your enemy hates you. Maybe you got an argument. Whatever it is. Your response in hatred actually will hurt you more than their hurt. Stubble on you. Because love is the source of all our best attitudes and actions. Go to Galatians. You're in Romans. Go to the right. Find Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. Galatians 5 and verse 13. For brethren... You've been called under liberty. That's freedom. You've been called out of bondage under liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, how you would normally do things, but by love you should what? Serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But, verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one another. You know, if we, if we naturally just treated each other like Everybody's treating each other. We'll end up dead. We'll bite and devour one another until there's none of us left. That's not Christianity. Love is the source of every good and best action. Go to James chapter 2. You have to do it, ladies and gentlemen, without partiality. You have to love somebody who is the opposite of you. Maybe you're Manchester United, and they're, uh, I don't know, who's the worst team right now? <laughs> Aston Villa? <laughs> and you got to love them because ugh. you cannot say, well, I can love anybody except those people. You cannot say that. <clears throat> Look at James chapter 2 and verse 8. If ye fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, here's the royal law, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. Excellent. But if ye have respect to persons, which means you respect only certain persons, Ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. And by the way, whosoever is keeping the whole law and yet offends in this one point, you are guilty of all. You cannot be a racist. You cannot pick and choose who you love. Guess what? You have to love even those that will never love you. Amen. That doesn't mean that you always go up and hug them. That doesn't mean that you respect them. That doesn't mean that, that you listen to them and you follow them. That doesn't mean that you want to be like them. That doesn't mean that you just always just, just ooze them and coddle them. and all. But there, are, there is no reason for you ever want to hurt them, to say something against them. They may fire away at you, but the greatest power is the power of restraint. 
That's meekness. Where you don't respond back, that's love. And that's the kind of love that we need. Love without partiality. Also that we can be like Jesus Christ. Go back to Matthew 5 and we'll finish. Matthew chapter 5. In verse 45. <clears throat> now which one should I be like? Should I be like the devil? Should I be like the tax collectors? Should I be like the lowest in society? Or should I be like Christ? Look at Matthew 5 and verse 45. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For it maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. If ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans, the lowest in society, do the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. So do you want to be like the lowest in society? Or shouldn't you want to be like Christ? God expects us to act like his children, not act like the devil. Because I certainly know how to act like the devil, amen? And so do you. Here's the greatest one, verse 48. It says, we can actually be perfect. Verse 48, be therefore what? Why? I, am I being perfect because I don't commit adultery? Is that what makes me perfect? It, it, what being perfect, does that mean that I don't covet? I don't gossip? I don't steal? Is that what makes me perfect? No. According to this is when I love my enemy. That's when I've arrived at perfection. Even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, how do you do it? By deciding to do it. Without a serious commitment to obeying these things, even though they hurt, you'll never actually love anybody other than yourself. Until you decide to love even your enemy, you'll never love anybody but yourself. Secondly, admit that you can't do it as you are. You know, you need to make sure you're, you're born again because without the new birth, without the Spirit of God in you, without that power that's outside of you coming in and working through you and being that extra voice inside you that's not your conscience but is the Spirit of God saying, ah, stop. You need to admit that you can't the way you are until you've been born again. Because religious people murder. Baptized people start wars. Born again people shouldn't. Third, ask and beg God for help. Do you know there's something available to every Christian in this room? It's called the Holy Spirit of God. Now you were sealed with Him, but you're not full of Him. And the desire is, when you're full of rage, is for you to say, Lord, fill me with the Spirit so I can love back when I've been hurt. Here's another thought. How do you, how do you love your enemy? Will you fail over and over doing it? You know, by failing, do you know what you're proving? That at least you're trying. If you have no track record of ever failing at loving your enemy, then you ought to be ashamed because you haven't tried yet. Fear the consequences of not doing it. Do you know, you will only ever be like those that hate you and hurt you. You'll only be like your enemy, which is not what you want on your epitaph of your, of your grave. He died hating. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's on your tombstone when you die. Is that how you want to be remembered, is being just upset at all your enemies in life? There are plenty of people that have. 
You need to fear the consequences of not loving your enemy because God will have to judge and chastise you for disobeying his word because he said you must love your enemy. And like I said, you'll end up more hurt than those who are already hurting you. And can I say this, because I'm finished. Are you someone's enemy? Does anybody count you as an enemy? If they do, stop it. <laughs> Don't be an enemy. I have to love enemies, but it'd be nice if enemies were trying not to be enemies. Amen? And in a church, we have too many people who are comfortable with the fact that people are upset because we've hurt and we never care that, you know, I... I did wrong and I never fixed it. If you're somebody's enemy, stop it. Just bow your head for a moment. Close your eyes. You can close your Bibles. And I'm through. Jesus said throughout this whole thing, normal religious teachers say this, normal people think this, conventional wisdom says this, but I say unto you, and then he raised the bar higher. He put the targets further. He made it harder because he was showing us a better way, a better righteousness than the Pharisees had, which was only on the outside. And you're not going to reach it without him, without his help, without being born again, walking in the word, walking with God, confessing your sins daily, constantly coming to Him saying, Lord, help me. You're not going to ever attain to any of these on your own, but you ought to want to. And in this quiet time, would you just say, you know, Lord, this has been very convicting. I've got too many enemies, and they've never seen me love them once. And if it would be possible, would you help me so that I start? Yeah, I'll fail. They may never appreciate one thing I try to do. But I can't worry about them. i got to worry about me. No matter how many times somebody's hurt you and become your enemy, you need to start forgiving and loving because it's right. Lord, this is where, um, this is where we reach the top of the, of the mountain. There's no higher level to climb. But I'm afraid there are very few at this point. I'm not there. But this is where we've got to be. Because there's no greater Christian, there's no greater church, there's no greater nation than one filled with people who can take it, who can respond in love when they've been hurt and when they've been insulted, when they've been rejected, when they've been persecuted, when they've been despitefully used. That's a better church. It's a better home. That's a better people. We don't want to be just like our enemies. Homosexuals out there, they've got their issues. And their sin is wrong, but I want them saved. And they can be saved because such were some of you is in my Bible. Lord, there are people who hate me and I, I want them right with God. I want them to to know the joy of just loving you and loving people. Maybe they need me to just love them for a while. I pray you help me again and again and again. And I pray that you'd help us this morning to hear these words. To be perfect as possible. 
we'd learn this.